Welcome to the B2B Marketing and Copywriting Podcast. I'm your host, Linda Malone, certified conversion copywriter, copy strategist, and founder of Copyworks. Join me each week as I speak with experts in the fields of marketing, copywriting, decision-making, psychology, and more, all with one goal, to help you attract your ideal customers and inspire them to take action. My guest today is Paul Slack. Paul is a serial entrepreneur with over 20 years of digital marketing experience. He is on a mission to help B2B companies simplify digital marketing to grow pipeline and generate revenue. He is also the CEO of Vendi Digital and the author of two books. Paul is also a sought-after speaker in the digital marketing space. He's been featured in Success Magazine, Fox Radio, and Big Stage Events. He's trained thousands of business leaders on leveraging digital marketing for their businesses. And today he leads a team of digital marketing pros who love to work with busy executives who understand digital marketing is critical, but just don't have the time or expertise to build and execute in a way that actually delivers results. So in this episode, Paul talks about all things content marketing for B2B, specifically how it's changed and how B2B buyer preferences have changed and the best steps to take to get a good content marketing strategy going. Let's dive right in. All righty. Paul, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, glad to be here, Linda. Yeah, this is going to be a lot of fun. I, before we get into our main topic, I want to start with something you put in your bio about that you love chess. That's not something you hear a lot of people talk about. So can you tell me, like, is that like a hobby? Is it something you're really serious about? Well, you know, it's kind of funny. It happened during COVID. And I think everybody remembers during COVID, one of the top shows on Netflix was Queen's Gambit. And so I watched Queen's Gambit and it was all about chess. And I'm, I thought, well, gosh, that's kind of cool. I like chess or I think I would like chess. And I used to play with my daughter. She was in the chess club back when she was in school. And and so I downloaded a chess app and just became addicted to it. Uh, I love it. It's a great strategy game. I'm a strategist. So it just kind of hit me at the right time with uh, the right kind of game. So I've just have been really addicted ever since then. And I played on my phone mostly uh, okay. with people all over the world. It's a lot of fun. Oh, all right. That's what I was going to ask you. Like, do you have somebody that you actually do like face-to-face -face games with? Because that would be, it, it's awesome. And I love that it's such in contrast to everyday life where everyone's moving at hundred miles an hour. You can't do that with chess. I mean, that's something like you said, it's strategy, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah, that's great. So just speaking of strategy, what a segue, right? We're going to talk about <laughs> content marketing strategy today. I mean, what is, I, don't, I can't think of a bigger topic in the business world, I think, especially online with, with like LinkedIn and that sort of thing. So I wanted to ask you, why is it so important? Why is content marketing so important for B2B, especially like this year? I guess, is this year different than other years? And if so, like, how does that play into it? Well, I, th you know, I think there's this, this thing going on, which is, you know, our buyers are changing in the way that they're learning and consuming. And I think what makes it kind of really important in 2023 is, you know, everybody's dealing with budgets tightening and there may not be as many opportunities for us in 2023 as a B2B company as maybe we had in, in 2022. And, and so what do you do about that? And so why this is important, uh, one of the things that, that you know, there's a recent uh, study that I saw on Harvard Business Review that validated something that I've been feeling. And that is that 
the majority of B2B buyers before they go in market to actually start researching a solution for their business that they already have in mind three to four vendors that they think are probably the right vendors to take a look at. And so that's really important. So before they even start Googling, you know, new CRM software or new accounting software or whatever it is they're looking for, in their minds, they already have three or four vendors in mind. And then the crazy thing about that, Linda, is according to the study, that they will buy from one of those three to four vendors 90% of the time, 90%. And so the reason why content marketing is so important is if we're not one of those three to four vendors, before they start letting their fingers do the walking on Google, uh, the chances of winning that business are really light. And because there are less opportunities now, I feel like B2B companies really need to focus in 2023 on what can they do to make sure they're on that short list. And in my mind, content marketing, and I'm sure we'll break this down as we go through the podcast today, doing it the right way is one great way to ensure that you are one of those vendors. That's it's so interesting. So they already know in their minds, it's going to be among these just handful of right. vendors. Before we get into some of the other questions, we, when we talk about content marketing, can you kind of define, I mean, it seems like it would be an obvious thing. You know, um, I like to start at the top of the pyramid when you think about that. And at the end of the day, I think we would all agree that people buy things because of the words they read or hear, right? So that's why people buy things. They read words, they hear words, they learn about something and it makes them want to buy things. And so at the end of the day, content marketing is really about creating words that are going to create awareness for your brand and point buyers in a direction that's going to basically teach them why you're the right solution for them. Now, a lot of companies, I think, struggle with that because they think content marketing is about writing blogs, putting it on their website, hoping some people are going to stumble across it and that they'll generate traffic and leads and sales. And Linda, I would submit to you, that's the wrong approach to content marketing. It's much better to think about how can I become the go-to resource in my industry for this buyer? And, and really start there because that's going to force you as a business or a marketer to really think about creating content, not for my own personal benefit, which is I want more traffic and leads, but rather for my audience's benefit, how can I educate, inform, and entertain them so that when they are ready to buy, that we are on that short list that we just talked about. Right. And one of the things that I feel a lot is when you have something like, say, a blog or you have other content and people like you you said, and people expect that others will just find it. And so if you don't do like with this podcast, like if I don't get this out there, if I don't talk about it, not a lot of people will see it. So it's all, it's not so much in creating that content, but it's about marketing what you have. So does that include like all the repurposing? Is that what is, you see as super important? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it's, uh, it, making the content and coming up with what you want to talk about is like half the battle, just like All you right. talked about, Linda. The other half is really distributing. And I'll take a, uh, an example based on what we were just talking about. Let's say you're a B2B company and you think content marketing means you know, writing two to four blogs a month, putting it on your website, and you can check the box, you're done. Content marketing's taken care of. You can go right. on and do other things, <laughs> right? And, and in the old days, you know, if you did that, uh, maybe Google would come crawl your site. You'd get ranked for a couple of key phrases that that blog happened to be about. And you've got your target audience out there. And you know maybe 1% or 2% of your target audience might do some searching on Google and land on your website. And that's that's kind of the old school way. 
and in a way that's not focused on distribution and marketing like you were talking about. A much more modern way is to still write that blog or what we would call foundational or long-form content, but then slice and dice that content up into multiple channel-appropriate formats and really distribute that content wherever your buyers go to learn. And that's a big challenge that businesses have today is they want to think, they believe that all their great content needs to live on their website when the reality is all of their great content really needs to live where their buyers go to learn. And quite frankly, when you think about it, how many people go to LinkedIn versus how many people go to your website? A whole lot more people go to LinkedIn than your website. So you need to get that good stuff distributed out there where they go. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's hard if you're a small, like I'm just a individual entrepreneur. And so for me, like I'm at, actually in the process of hiring somebody to help me with that because there's so much to do and there's so much to know as far as, you know, what is appropriate for different so like social platforms and that like, does that include all the social media you're talking about? Like, right, all the, right, all of yeah. them are there. Wh which ones do you think? I mean, I would think LinkedIn is kind of the go-to for B2B. Is there any other one that you think there, there are a lot of platforms out there today. And, and really, I think your audience drives it more than anything. If you're a B2B company and you're not doing something on LinkedIn, that would certainly be, I think, the low-hanging fruit, right? Because uh, LinkedIn is, uh, last I heard, almost 900 million members or users today. You know, It's like the number one business website on the web. Mm -hmm. And so if you're trying to reach a business audience, it's by far the best. But at the same time, we have to understand, not only do we need to go where our customers are hanging out, so LinkedIn being a good platform, uh, but they are also shifting in just their preferences of content. So some of them want to read a blog. Some of them don't want to leave LinkedIn. Some of them want to get the essence of what you have to say in a post. Some of them want to read or watch a video. And so another key part of being successful in today's world is getting the right information out there in these platforms, but also understanding what are the media types that really perform well in that platform and giving your buyers or your audience uh, a blend or a mix up or mashup, if you will, of different types of content, because some buyers are going to like to watch it. Um, some people would rather, you know, watch the internet than read the internet. And so let's have a variety of those. And that's one of the things like, for example, on this podcast, I, I like the fact that you have an audio version and a video version, right? It, some people are going to prefer to want to wanna watch this rather than listen yeah. to it in their car. And I also heard a lot, the reason I do that is a lot of people have told me that they, they'll keep YouTube on and as they're doing other things, even though they are just listening to it, but they, for some reason, I like to have a video up. And sometimes I do that myself. It's kind of nice to see who's talking, you know? The other thing, it seems to me like with LinkedIn, because I've been very steady on the platform for two years, actually, as of this month, as a result of a webinar that was a challenge for us to get on it. And that's how I got started. It seems like you're almost going after a moving target when you're trying to figure out what is it that LinkedIn is going to push out. Like when I first started, I think polls were a huge thing. Everyone was doing a poll to the point where then people started talking about how annoying they were. And, right. and But you would get a lot of reach with them. Now, I hardly see them at all. Now it's carousels. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Doesn't <laughs> it seem like every other post is a carousel <laughs> now? I mean, what's your take on that? Is it just, is it purposely done or do you think that the actual content creators are the ones kind of influencing the algorithm. There is more on LinkedIn side. Yeah. You know, a couple of things about that. Uh, let me address that question. And I want to go back to something you said earlier about uh, YouTube and video, but 
it's very easy for people like you and I, Linda, that are on LinkedIn a lot to try to chase what the latest thing is that LinkedIn's uh, wanting to do. And that's why we end up seeing like, gosh, I've started doing carousels in all honesty, because, you know, they get lots of views. LinkedIn's giving them playing favorites with them right now. But I think the advice I'd like to give everybody that's listening today is, you know, start with the audience first and build for the audience. Like what, what do you think is going to, what message do you want to deliver to the audience and how can you deliver that message in a way where they're going to get the most value from what you're sharing? And I think that starts, that's like foundational. If we can get good, useful information out there, that's going to serve our audience. And that's our primary focus. And I know you feel that way too, Linda. I'm just wanting to make that point so the listeners can listen in. That always is kind of step one. And so if you feel like I'm checking that box, I'm creating good content, regardless of what format it's in, if they if they consume this, they're going to get value from it, right? Mm-hmm. Then I think the next step is beginning to, to understand the platform and understanding what media types work the best. And so um, like TikTok, you know, on TikTok, really it's video, right? So you're going to have to produce a certain type of video if it's going to perform well on TikTok. LinkedIn, on the other hand, has all these different media types. You've got static posts and you've got carousels and polls and all, you can even add video. One thing that blows me away about LinkedIn is how video, I post a lot of video on LinkedIn and it actually doesn't get as much play as uh, some of my other content does, but I get a ton of engagement with my video. So um, not as many views, lots of comments, lots of engagement. And so really when I'm focused on what I'm doing on LinkedIn, for example, I'm really trying to serve my customer more than anything. And then I do go and try, okay, let me give a carousel a try. Let's see what happens. Um, so it really, it really just depends. I want to go back to what you said about why you also record your podcast, because I think it's important for the audience to hear this. YouTube is the second largest search engine, second only to Google. And so if you've got a way of creating content in a video format, it's silly not to have a YouTube strategy. One of the things I tell my customers all the time is, if you wrote it, say it. If you said it, write it. And so the idea is, if you've taken the time to write a blog, by golly, turn on a video camera and basically share that information on camera. Now you've got access to something like YouTube. You can get that information out there as well. And then you have the ability to slice and dice that content up Mm -hmm. in a lot of different formats. I mean, when you look at what I'm sharing on LinkedIn today, um, you'll see video posts and you'll see text posts. And guess what, Linda, more than anything, more than most likely, that is the same information just shared in different formats. Yeah. And that's a great point, especially uh, what you said about blogs. And what I do, I have a newsletter that I don't really talk too much about, which just because I'm not sure the strategy, I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do with it. But what I do is often I'll take, I'll kind of mix take something I've said on LinkedIn and I'll put it into a blog, but I'll expand on it for my subscribers. So it's a little bit different. And so I, I do try to do that as well, but it's, it's a lot of work. I mean, it's a lot of yes. time, you know, to, to do all that. And people say, Oh, you know, I do the people who are doing a lot of video, I can do 20 videos in an hour. It's like, I, I think you're an outlier. I just don't. Cause even with, with the carousels, there's a lot of talk about, oh, I can do a carousel in 20 minutes. I think if you have the template established, because I've done a lot of carousels and mm-hmm. it's um, it still takes me forever if I really do. Well, I'm also a nut about making sure it's perfect. So it's probably, I work against myself. But yeah, it, I think it's um, it's interesting. One of the things I wanted to mention is that one 
like what I do is I will rotate through the different formats myself on LinkedIn to kind of see what kind of reach I get. Mm -hmm. And it always comes down to the, the greatest reach is still the topic. I can have a carousel. And even though all oh, carousels are so popular, if I post a carousel that's not really of interest, I don't get a lot of reach with it. But if it's something that a lot of people are interested in, I'll get a ton of reach. But then the same could be said of a text post. So I think it really comes down to what the content is and if people are interested in it. That's a really good point, Linda. In fact, LinkedIn doesn't publish your algorithm, but you know there is a theory that in the first couple of minutes, depending on how many people they'll they'll show your post to a lot of folks that are like followers or connected to you, and depending on how much engagement or dwell time happen on that post in those first couple of minutes, has a huge impact on how well that post will do. And so, to your to your point, that topic's going to matter a lot. So if the topic is relevant to them and they engage with it or spend a little bit of time on that post then that post is going to do great depending. And it doesn't matter what kind of format it's in. Yeah. And that's, that's what I'm seeing myself. Cause I mean, I think you all, you know, everyone has to really find what works for them. Like you just have to experiment. It's like any marketing, it's always about testing and trying mm -hmm. it and seeing what the results are. So I think it could vary too, but you had mentioned that B2B buyer preferences have changed. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Prior to COVID, Buyers, and let me, I'm going to back up even a little bit farther because I think it's going to tell a good story here. You know, I'm an old sales guy from the 90s and, and back in the 90s, buyers did not have ubiquitous access to information like we have today, right? And so that's really important because back then, um, as a salesman, I was kind of the person who had to create demand and it was easy to create demand because my customers had questions on how to do something in their business and they didn't know, they didn't have the answers. So they would call a company like the one that I work for, and then a salesman would get involved and they would help them figure that out. Mm -hmm. And then the internet happened. And so all of a sudden I can go start doing research on my own and then content marketing really took off. And so now customers are really feeling empowered to get the information that they need without a salesperson involved. In fact, some of the most recent information that I've read from Gartner that says that a, a B2B buyer is 80% through the buying journey before they reach out to sales. That wow. means if we were to think about it like a football, using a football analogy, I mean, they're on the 20-yard line getting ready to score a touchdown mm -hmm. before they want to talk to sales, right? Mm -hmm. So that means that, that 80, those 80 yards from their end zone to the 20-yard line, they're figuring that stuff out on, your, on their own. Yeah. And so if we're not reverse engineering what that buyer journey is like, what kind of questions they're going to have, what information do they need, how are they going to share that information with other uh, individuals within their organization and, and serving that up to them without the expectation that a sales rep will have to do that, um, we're really going to lose. So, so number one, we've just got to have the understanding that buyers want this information on their own. They mm -hmm. also, Linda, they don't want to fill out forms. And so we don't want to have our really great content locked away on our website behind a form. That's really silly in today's world to go, I'm going to go spend all this time, energy, and effort to write a really amazing ebook. And then I'm going to throw a form in front of it so that only 3% of the people that come to my website are ever going to see it. Right. Um, and so buyers know, hey, I don't need to fill this form out so that your sales rep can hound me to get to this knowledge. I can go Google it or find it from some, somewhere else. And so the the preference of or the willingness to fill out a form has absolutely changed. And then another thing that we talked about earlier, which definitely ties into their preferences, is there's so much media available today and in so many different formats 
that they kind of expect us to be like Netflix for them. Right. And so if they want to binge something, they want to be able to binge it. If they want a little bite-sized piece of information, they want to be able to consume it that way too. So when we're creating content, we really need to think about, you know, there's this big buzz going on right now about be a media company, be a media company. And and I even did a LinkedIn post uh, last week or so saying that I don't I think that's going a little too far. But the reality is we do need to think like we're serving an audience and giving them lots of different options that we can give useful information to them. So think about how can I give them audio? How can I give them video? How can I slice my content up and give it to them in bite-sized chunks? How can I have good long-form content on my website? We've got to have that variety because that's really what they're expecting today. Another one is just, and I touched on this a little bit, but just buying committees, right? Today in B2B, the latest numbers I've seen are like on average eight people involved in a decision today on the on the buyer side. And so we've got to be addressing all of those different buyers and making our content super easy for them to share, or we're going to be creating friction and we don't want that. Um, the average B2B buyer is also looking at over 11 pieces of content today before they make a buying decision. And so it goes back to their educating and they're on a self, self-guided tour, kind of learning on their own. And so we need to make sure that information is available to them. That is such a great point. I love your analogy about Netflix and how, you know, people just they want to they want options. I know I'm I'm like that too. But one of the things that struck me as you were talking is how in in copywriting we we address something called, you know, the different stages of awareness. So, mm-hmm. you know, when people are well, it's in marketing and not just copywriting. But when people are not aware of any problem at all, they're unaware. When people are pain aware, which is most of the time when they start looking. But what it sounds like from what you're saying is people are not only past those stages already, they're at solution aware, which means they know there's a solution, but they're probably even product aware. Like they know about you before Mm -hmm. they even get to you. Do you think that 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 whole process is shortened because of the... Well, I think I think in the world of B2B, absolutely, we've got to have content for all those different stages. So for sure, even when they're product aware, to your point, Linda, they may not be ready to talk to a sales rep yet. Mm-hmm. One of the things I try to communicate to, to customers and folks that I talk to is the in today's world, a buyer doesn't want to talk to a salesperson until they've gotten to the point where they believe They've got enough information and now they want to apply it to their specific situation. Every B2B company out there thinks that their situation is unique. So at some point, they're going to get to a place where it's like, okay, I've figured it out. I understand this product. I understand the problem that it solves. Now I need to talk to somebody and figure out how does it apply to me? That's when the sales rep needs to get involved. Everything that happens up to that point really needs to be handled through content marketing in my mind. And then to to touch on the different stages of awareness, one thing that we coach folks on is when you're building content for top of the funnel, focus on the category. So sell the category. Why is demand generation important? Why is content marketing important? Don't focus on yourself so much because what you're trying to do is create awareness of the category and how that category can make their business better. And then as they move down the awareness chain, then you start going from, hey, this category is important to here's how we would solve this issue that you're having within this category. And then ultimately down the bottom of the funnel, it's here's examples of how we've done it or case studies of how we've done it for other customers. Mm -hmm. What I love about marketing is that just as a creative person, I love that it's always changing. 
I love that yeah. it's always challenging. It's never said it and forget it, you know, and you it used to be like, like you said, blog, I'll just do a blog. I'll throw it up on my site and just wait for people to flock to my website, which never happens. And so, you know, that, but you still have people saying, well, I don't understand this. I wrote a blog and I posted it on LinkedIn and I'm not getting any kind of reach because you yeah. have to do so much more than that, you know, and you have to engage with other people. And that's, that takes time. And it, it's something that a lot of people are not willing to do, but the people who do are the ones that are finding that success, right? Yeah, absolutely. Marketing is not set it and forget it. It's, yeah. uh, it's an ongoing process. And I can just tell you, you know, I, I got into digital marketing in 2000, so 23 years. And back then, Linda, I was telling B2B companies, you, you need a website. And, and what's crazy is I literally had um, CEOs tell me in 2000, Paul, I don't know why I need a website. We go to all the right <laughs> trade shows. We've got sales reps. We, I, why do we need a website? You know, And then here we are 23 years later, and now I'm trying to tell them they need to do content marketing and social media marketing. And they're looking at me like, what? Yeah. So the world just continues to evolve and change. And in a way, it's good because what we're doing is we're making it easier for buyers to learn about things. And then we're training them why they should buy from us and how we can make their businesses better. Yeah. And it'll be really clear who's keeping up with what they're supposed to be keeping up with. I remember way back, it was about 2002, I was writing a column for a local business publication and I was interviewing a, a website designer. He said the same thing. He says, I could not, well, I talked to him later and he says, I could not at that point you know, sell websites to companies because they said the same thing. Why do I need something like that? I mean, it just, it sounds so crazy. So you would think that they would listen to the trends now. Like, obviously, you know, I was wrong about that. So maybe I should get on this whole social media thing. It's like why, you know, um, IBM took so long to make changes and uh, oh, we're, we're so big. We don't have to, you know, we don't have to do anything. And then all the Kodak, you know, just all these companies that just refuse to, to change and they lose out. Right. right. Yeah. And I will tell you that, you know, if you are listening in today, and you're what I would call a sales-led organization where you feel like the sales reps, and I'm, this is no diss on sales reps at all. They're incredibly important for your business. But if you're expecting sales reps to generate demand by pounding the phones or sending out a lot of emails, and you're not doing demand generation with content marketing, you're going to be left behind because that's that's where the world's going. I mean, buyers are in control and we've got to give them the information that will inform them. And as you mentioned, Linda, move them through those stages of awareness, because if you're not doing that with words uh, and you're expecting your sales reps to do that, you're going to get leapfrogged by the competition that's figuring this stuff out because that's that it is a buyer enablement world these days. And we've just got to help our buyers as best we can and remove as much friction from the process as we can. Yeah, absolutely. And so the last question, this is a big one. So what are like the best steps to take to get a good content marketing strategy going? So that's a great question, Linda. One of the first things that I like folks to think about when they're developing a strategy for their business, number one, congratulations that you're even thinking about that you need one because you absolutely do. Number two, the very next thing that I would recommend that you do is develop three to five content pillars. And that's really important because what ends up happening with a lot of businesses that don't start with content pillars is they end up talking about way too many things. And the challenge is that we want people to remember the problem that we can solve for them. And so what I recommend to folks is step one, ask yourself this question, what do I want to be known for? 
what are the things that I want to be known for? And brainstorm uh, your, with that uh, on that question with your team and come up with no more than three to five. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I would I would recommend that you build out your entire content strategy around those content pillars. And the, the reason for that is if you write everything around those content pillars, then people that are going to get exposed to your content um, over time are going to remember, oh, hey, Vindy Digital, that's the demand gen agency. They're the people I'm going to call for demand generation if I have if I need help with that. Um, if we were talking about way too many things, we would have a hard time kind of owning that real estate, if you will, in their mind, right? So content pillars are really important. That doesn't necessarily mean that everything that you write, like for example, one of our content pillars is demand generation. Doesn't mean that everything that we write about under that pillar has to be about demand generation. You can go and then ask yourself the question about that pillar. What is it that we want our audience to know as it relates to that pillar? So for example, in our case, demand generation being one of our pillars, one of the things we want them to know is that all of your great content shouldn't live on your website. Some of your great content needs to live in social media. And so the idea is the pillar becomes kind of the genesis of thought And then from there, you can brainstorm by asking that question, what do we want our audience to know? And that will help you inform out your topics. And so step one is really understand those content pillars. Step two, brainstorm on what do we want folks to know about those different pillars? That'll help you come up with a lot of topics. The next thing that I would recommend, Linda, is actually go and audit your website. So one thing that we've found is a lot of clients have really great content on their website in various formats. It's just not in the right formats or or can be leveraged uh, and repurposed. And so go audit your website and that'll help you find, hey, we've got this pillar licked already, but this pillar, we really don't have as much content. We, <laughs> Linda, we just did an audit of our website and like 75% of our content was on B2B social and like 3% of our content was on demand generation. And I'm like, oh my gosh, we got to go write some more demand generation content. So that's what an audit will help you do is really kind of figure that that part out. Yeah. And then once you've got that all figured out, then you can actually go and think about how are you going to actually develop this content? And so uh, we didn't talk about content flywheels today, but but the idea of creating long form content, we kind of touched on it, that can then um, spawn into shorter form channel appropriate content is the way that you overcome just the the burden of creation. Mm-hmm. And so once you've kind of figured out your pillars and the topics, the next thing you want to do is really start writing some long form content that can get broken up into these different channel appropriate ways. And once you've got that figured out, start creating the content, slice and dice it up and, and get it out there and get it distributed. Um, one thing I didn't talk about related to that, Linda, and it was kind of assumed, but I just want to go back to touch on it. Make sure you've identified your ideal customer, right? So don't try to don't try to write for everybody. Try to write for that niche, that audience that you can serve best. And that gives you the ability to really personalize the content and answer questions that you know that particular niche really has. Like mm-hmm. for us, we're a digital agency, but we focus on B2B. And mm-hmm. so every time you interact with our content, we are calling out B2B marketers or dealing with issues that are unique to B2B marketers. So as they're consuming our content, our hope is that they're going to read it and go, wow, that was just for me. And so that was kind of the assumption that you kind of know who your audience is, and then you can go through that process. Yeah. And that makes total sense. You hear about that all the time, but still enough companies aren't doing it. Like talk to your customers or your clients. And it's it, it's time consuming. No one wants to really get on a call, you know, but 
it takes effort, but it pays off like big time because you have to know who you're talking to. And it's not just the demographics, it's the psychographics. What are they doing? And what are they what are they interested in? Do they play chess on the weekends? You know, who knows? <laughs> so. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. You know, that's yeah. one of the reasons why we started our demand gen jam session and our demand gen jammers community, because the goal is, you know, one, we wanted to create a community, but just like you said, Linda, our hope is to get to know marketers and by getting to rub elbows with them, we're learning kind of what keeps them awake at night. And just to your point and I'll land the plane on this. If you're a marketer, you need to be friends with your customers. Like, like right. go hang out with them, buy them beers, go, go have lunch with them. I mean, it's, it's super important that you know who your customers are. I mean, don't let your sales reps enjoy those relationships alone. Make friends that are your customers. That will help you a lot. Yeah, that's, that's a great, great piece of advice. Well, thank you so much, Paul. Where can people find you if they want to find out? And you also have a couple of books out, correct? Yeah, I've got, well, I've got one book that's out, Social Rules. I actually wrote that in 2012, so it's been out there a while. Okay. Uh, I probably need to update that one, but you can buy it on Amazon or reach out to me. I'll be happy to give you a free copy of it. I am working on a new book called Social Selling Rules. So the whole idea will be how to leverage social selling. But the best way to get a hold of me would be, I think, LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn. That's how you and I obviously got connected. Or visit our website, vindydigital.com, uh, for more information on what we do. That's awesome. Well, thank you again for, for your time today. I really appreciate it. It's been great. That wraps up today's episode. I hope you found it as fun to listen to as it was for me to record. If you enjoyed it, please leave a review and be sure to subscribe. And for additional info, visit my website at thecopyworks.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.